Good morning, church. So this morning is, it's a rainy day, but you know what? A rainy day always reminds me that God's grace pours out on a hurting world just like rain. So when I'm I'm waking up to a rainy day, that's my first thought is, yes, Lord, may your grace pour out on this hurting world. Grace like rain. So this morning we're going to be in Isaiah 60, and we're going to look at verse 1. <clears throat> now I know this is like really just one verse, but yeah. We're going to look at Isaiah 61. In my Bible, the header says the glory of Zion. So Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you ever feel like you're overwhelmed to really even know Jesus sometimes? Do you ever find yourself hearing scripture and then seeming to feel like, wow, that that came right on time. That perfectly fits my situation. I think that's the way I look at today with the rainy, the rainy weather. It perfectly fits today's message. Arise and shine. Now, we've heard that many times growing up, and when school would be out, we'd get so excited because we could sleep in late, and then there would be an an adult voice from the other room that says, rise and shine. I think often we can rise, but if we're going to be really honest, sometimes it's really difficult for us to shine. I mean, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with this sometimes, but it's not just a wake-up call from the from the hotel front desk. There's something deeper in this scripture. So before we dive in, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your rain. May your grace pour out on this hurting world like rain falls, bringing a coolness and a tranquility and a calm to a ever-changing hurting world. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your Son. Amen. Now, this scripture is usually usually here during the season of Advent. But um, while I do love following the lectionary calendar, sometimes I feel like we become robots. We go through each Christian season, and sometimes it seems like we lose a bit of the importance. So we're stepping outside of the norm today. For anyone who um, does not know, the Advent season of hope um, is it, the hope concerning the arrival and the appearance of Jesus. Now, this message has some, some symbolism and prophecy relating to Advent. But, you know, this scripture also can be used during Epiphany. But let's start out by referencing um, Titus chapter 2. So in Titus chapter 2, we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. 
Now this can be found in Titus 2 verse 11 and then also 13 and 14. So through this scripture is referencing Christ's second coming or his return. And it gives us an idea of the expectations surrounding his appearance. So let's look at Isaiah again. Verse 1 through 3 actually. And then we're also going to jump to 6. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness will cover the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of of your rising. Jumping in verse 6, it says, The multitude of camels shall cover your land, and the dromedaries of Midian and Ephen, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall proclaim the promises and praises of the Lord. So this passage is the prophecy about the arrival of the Messiah. But it also talks about or makes reference to the wise men. When we look at the account of the Magi that's found in Matthew 2, we read that King Herod plotted to to have Jesus killed. And the text says that he sent forth to put put to death all male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of his um, districts any child that was two years or under should be put to death. So based on this scholars really believe that Jesus was around the age of two when the Magi arrived. Matthew chapter 2 also refers to Jesus multiple times as the child in verse 8 and um, 9, 11, 13, 14, 20, 21. But the account of the Magi falls just a couple years after Jesus' birth. So as a result, many denominations will only preach this around Christmas, you know, the beginning of the year, in a season called Epiphany. <clears throat> the word Epiphany, similar to Advent, means arrival. Or appearance. You know, the chief image of Epiphany is, is the star in the east whose light guided the Magi to find Jesus. But we also celebrate light during Advent because we, we light candles each week to represent the arrival of Christ. You can find that in John chapter 8. But the prophecy about the Magi in the book of Isaiah is one that portrays an eager expectation So, this morning we're going to learn more from Isaiah as to why we must celebrate the appearance of the light of Christ. And also, learning why we must look to that light for our own existence as we we prepare for Christ to return. So, let's again, let's again start, let's go back to Isaiah We're going to review verses 1 and 2 real quick. 
Again, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the darkness shall cover the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will shine upon you. Again, remember Matthew 2. This is where King Herod said he wanted the children killed. But when the wise man inquired of King Herod, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? This this is what set everything in motion because the king knew at this point Jesus had been born. If we jump forward a little bit, Matthew 2 into verse 9 and 10. When the Magi had heard from the king, they departed. And behold, there was the star. They followed it through the east until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with such great joy. And Matthew tells us that the star arose and eventually moved to shine over the place where the child lived with his parents. So was Isaiah's prophecy really being fulfilled in Matthew? Was it the star that was to rise and shine? So, you know, I have many commentary books, and I love them all. <clears throat> and I know that some have more of a, a a Baptist sound. Some have more of a Church of God sound. But let me just say this. When it comes to denominations, there will come a day when God will sort us all out and we will find where we were wrong, where we were right, where we were slightly off. So when I when I start talking about my commentaries, I usually have a few people that will later comment or send me messages, you know, oh, you're reading that that commentary from that denomination. Just please don't even do that anymore. My view, my opinion is if we're not out there reading and learning and absorbing, then we're missing out on a lot of blessings. So, back to one of my commentaries. Israel went through a lot. They went through all the captivity, the slavery, went through so much. But in Isaiah 60, this is casting a vision of Zion's future. It's full of light, prosperity, prestige. But this city, much like Israel, the history was riddled with just wreckage and war and their scars from empires battling and and they'll exchange the sounds of violence and ruins for eventually reconstruction. But to gain a fuller appreciation of what's going on in this text... <clears throat> and how it uh, imagines the future of Zion, one must really go beyond the boundaries of just electionary calendar. We've got to really dive in, not just Isaiah 1 through 6 or 1 through 3, but you have to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 60. That's really the only way to get a full scope. And again, I love my commentaries because... I want to know what was going on in the kingdoms and the empires and the, the wars and the conflicts. And how did the region really look? 
So when considering the full chapter of Isaiah 60, you can actually break this down into three different movements. You've got verse 1 through 3, then verse 4 through 17, and then verse 18 through 22. But right now we're just going to look at verse 1 through 3. So this is flooded actually with divine light. Rise and shine for your light has dawned. The presence of the Lord is upon you. It says darkness will afflict the earth and it will cover the people. But upon Zion, the Lord will shine. You know, this echoes of the plagues, like I said, back to Exodus when when the Hebrews were being liberated and brought out of their bondage. But when it comes to, I guess, a global spectral, uh, a global scale, I think we can look around and realize the whole earth has been plunged into a darkness. I'm talking modern day time darkness. So scripturally, you know, Zion was was just cloaked around this darkness, just surrounded with darkness. But the divine light was still there, and it was becoming like a lantern to all that walked in obedience to God. So if you jump a few verses into Isaiah, there's a word, reversal, that appears. And this is the word that best describes The hope of Isaiah, through the power of God, the oppression of of just darkness is broken. That oppression's broken. When you strip away all the resources that the world is trying to feed our flesh with, there comes a moment where we cry out to God to break these chains of bondage. You know, there's one thing that the author of Isaiah 60 did not change. And there was no movement that said, or there's no wordage that said there was imperial power change or the organization of the imperial power changed. This was a time where the empires had zero tolerance for disobedience. I mean, they were very harsh. And if we look at verse 12, it says, For the nations or the kingdom that does not serve you will perish. Such nations will be destroyed. I think we can look around today and realize that the forgiveness and the compassion, the redemption that's promised to Zion does not come to those that are disobedient. Disobedient brings death. Just like today, sin brings death. It doesn't matter how many generations come after us. Disobedience brings death. So the observation of rising is very important. If we're not rising in the light of Christ, then we are disobedient. Death awaits. You know, there's... Martin Luther gave a, gave a lesson in how to yield 
for divine power. And you can read in this, it's, um, his essay is called The Freedom of the Christian. Again, I know people are going to say, hey, we're Methodists, we're not Lutherans. But again, if you do your studies, you'll realize John Wesley actually, actually agreed with much that Martin Luther believed. So although there's certainly not a, a political power here that Isaiah 60 is concerned with. The wisdom he is talking about is his claim that all riches of heaven are given to us through Christ. The divine power we have in Christ, in other words, is power for our neighbor, meaning we're to rise and shine. Scripture says if you want to be first, you have to be last. In order to be a Christian, we're actually a servant to our communities. If we're not being a servant, then we're being disobedient, and disobedience brings death. So, church, are we really walking out the examples left for us for by Christ? Are we being the reflection of the Lord? Are we rising in His hope? That's found in the promise of scripture. While we shine is in his abundant grace poured out for each of us. Church, it's time to rise and shine. It's time to be a servant of the kingdom. And that means serving those that maybe they ridicule us. Maybe they put us down regardless what it is. But the only way we can rise and shine is to prepare the next generation to become a beautiful reflection of the light of Christ into this dark, hurting world. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, it's so easy to just say rise and shine and, and assume we know what that means. But God, biblically, there was so much going on in the in the empires and the wars and the scars that were left on not only people, but generations to come after those people. Lord, help us to be the, the element that you use to break generational curses. Help us to teach the next generation what it means to rise and shine in your glory and your light. But Lord, most importantly, help us to remain obedient to your call, humble in our walk, so that we can glorify you, but also be a reflection of the love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and abundance of agape that Christ brought to this world. And now we pray with one voice the way you taught your disciples to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, I look forward to uh, having you come and worship with us in person at Ebenezer UMC. 
in Odenville. Our worship time is um, 11 a.m. So until then, I pray that you rise even when the dark world is closing in. I pray that you rise knowing that God has so many blessings ready to pour out upon you and those around you. But most importantly, I pray that you shine even when the darkness says you're unworthy of shining. I pray that you shine because you are a beautiful creation. God doesn't make junk. Rise and shine. Until next time, speak life, be a blessing, put your faith feet into action to cause a positive ripple effect. Much agape, everybody.